everybody. Happy Monday. It is the Fan Drive Time. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy. Hour and a half show today as we get you set. Toronto Maple Leafs. New York Islanders down at Scotiabank Arena. Pre-game show starts at 6.30 here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. And if you're going to the game tonight, maybe you'll see our very own Blake Murphy, who's also going down to the game. You'll be uh, waving to the crowd, signing autographs, uh, talking to your adoring public. No. <laughs> you're, you're not approachable? Don't try and approach you? Well, first of all, we're on radio, so I don't know that that many people would even know what I look oh, like. Oh, you're, um, you're, but you're on the Raptors show. That's a, there's a visual component to that. People know what you look like. I hope not. You're on TV. You're on the Raptors pregame shows. You, you but, what? like, not enough to be, like, like look over in a seat and be like, oh, there's that guy. Oh, That's, come on. Don't, I don't be like that. I am up in the 300s just trying to enjoy a Leaf game <laughs> with my friend. So um, leave you alone? Well, look, I'll just say this. The chances of someone stopping Justin Bourne at the game tonight? Yeah, high. Yeah, much higher than me. It's a Leaf game. If it were a Raptor <laughs> game or something, maybe, but... I uh, I don't think anyone would recognize me or care. Whereas if Bourne is walking around, mm. first of all, he's the best looking guy in every room he's in. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's, it'll stand out. Well, now now you're gonna make me like challenge the people who are going down to the, the to the hockey game tonight don't to like that. snap a pick or you know. I will shake not your even be the most recognizable person that I'm going to the game with. So. Mm. That's a reference uh, to maybe something. Yeah, that, we'll get that, into that later. A little little later on in little, the program. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, enjoy your sushi tonight. Oh, so you're in the. Do they have the sushi up in the 300 level? I have no idea. Man, it's been a while since I've been to a Leaf game down at Scotia. I went to one earlier in the season in these same seats. There, uh, a friend has season seats, and I just buy them off of him sometimes when he he can't (laughs) go. Um, That's how it works. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe one day you'll take me. Maybe. Um, You have like a family to get to and stuff after work. Whatever. They can wait. but no, like I, I haven't eaten up there. And like last year was like, last year was interesting for me for Raptors games because it was the first year in a really long time I wasn't at every single game as media. So I actually went to a couple games as a fan and could like have a beer watching the Raptors mm-hmm. game, which was uh, a fun change. But no, I haven't eaten. I don't eat at the game. Well, but you got to eat. Like you, I, I, you're not eating now during the show. You have a very limited time between the the, the the end of the game and the start or the yeah. end of our show and the start of the game. What's your plan? Actually, this is interesting to me. I don't know. I had a <laughs> a very good sandwich from uh, oh. my local Italian deli. Okay. Uh, now we're getting into it. This is what yeah. you tuned in for, people. That was this afternoon, though. So we'll see. I will need something at some point. And also, it's uh, <laughs> like... How soon and how much I need to eat is entirely a function of how many beers I get into. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you, yeah, maybe you won't need that many beers, though, if you don't eat that much food, if you, if you catch my drift. Yes, but it goes the other way, too. So maybe I just have a couple <laughs> couple of beers and, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. As that, uh, I, I got a real kick. I know J.D. Bunkus shared it on Twitter, and apologies if anyone didn't see it, but the interview with that guy outside the LCBO about like the two drinks a week thing and how angry he was. And so I have a running joke with some friends that like, there's no such thing as three beers because Mm. you have one beer, you have two beers or you have, or you have beer. No, it's not true for me. I can do the one or two beers, Yeah, but you're, you don't know, but yeah, one or two Mm -hmm. listen to three, three is the magic number there. You can have one beer, you can have two beers or you can have, beers oh, okay <laughs> once you get past two the specific number <laughs> disappears and i actually i don't know how i don't know if they're listening to myself or what but letter kenny did this joke at one point and i'm pretty like they ripped it off from 
me and Steve and Paul and, and Andrew. Like, Holy cow. They, I mean, I don't know how, but we could probably get in touch with the, the writers of that program to, to verify. We're on it. the wrong network. Yeah, but I mean, we probably know enough people that we could, yeah, get them in a room or, you know. Yeah, I did a podcast a... with one of <laughs> one of his co-stars the other week. Yeah. Um, uh, no, uh, it's it's fine. But yeah, that's that's kind of the... That'll determine the food thing as well. One beer, two beer, or beers. Okay, if Blake is drinking beers, he'd be more than happy to uh, converse with you no, in the three. Stop <laughs> trying to get people to recognize me. It's uh, I don't need to do that. You're a big you're I Toronto am, sports media I am celebrity. Not. Right. I'm going to be in my coat and my sweater with my hat pulled down low. <laughs> Sunglasses. Yeah. In the middle of the night. All right. People, oh, I'm not going to make that joke. Damn right. All right. Uh, Blake Murphy tonight uh, at the Leafs game. We'll get to the Leafs in a second. But today's top story, we got to start with the NFL and the Buffalo Bills, who were the preseason Super Bowl favorites. You may have uh, recalled when, when that was the thing and they looked real good and they beat the Chiefs and... Now they're out in the divisional round for a second straight year, although this year it's not to the Chiefs, it's to the Bengals, who were the superior team in every single freaking way, dominated from start to finish in not ideal conditions, didn't really seem to impact Joe Burrow. Uh, he's not going anywhere. Supposed to be the Bills thing. <laughs> yeah. You play in Buffalo. Your team's built to play in the elements. Dude, I, I actually meant to check this out, what the weather was like in Cincinnati and wondering if that would have been better suited for the Bills not to be playing that game at but I, home. I don't think you can make that case because, the, like, it's the Colorado Rockies thing, right? Like, the Bills know if they're good enough to host a playoff game that that is a real possibility. Yeah, it doesn't It's supposed mean, to be a feature, not a bug. Yeah, but it's it's not with the way this team plays football. Their high-powered offense, which was totally anemic and scoring 10 points uh, and not really harrying Joe Burrow at all, despite the fact that he had two starting offensive lineman it's uh it's a total embarrassment and it's it's okay the, the window's not totally shut obviously anytime you have josh allen and your division winner um but yeah patrick mahomes not going anywhere joe burrow not going anywhere and we can have the conversation about where joe burrow is in the pecking order if he goes and beats patrick mahomes for the fourth consecutive time and ends up in a super bowl and maybe wins one this year but this is Pretty low low point for Buffalo Bills, who know low points in losing four consecutive Super Bowls. And there's a lot that goes into it. There's obviously the, the offensive component because they, they didn't manage to do much. And the Josh Allen elbow thing is going to come up. I'd imagine we hear shortly if there's some sort of offseason plan to make sure that's not an issue next year. Um, it's a team that... I think over the last couple of years keeps thinking they found the running back and then that running back isn't the running back. Um, I was more concerned. Well, not concerned because obviously this team just didn't score and you're going to need to score more than 10 points no matter what. But I, and I kind of tip my hand at this by asking Nate Geary about it last week about the bill's ability to put pressure on Joe Burrow with the, the Bengals line as beat up as it was. And Nate disagreed with me and thought that that shouldn't be a part of the strategy because that's how, you know, you don't want to open the field up for Burrow. He only got touched three times in that game. Sacked once. Sacked once. The guy who pretty consistently leads the league or is right around the league lead in getting sacked. And that's not, sacks aren't everything, but when you only get to the quarterback three times and basically like the only the only run stuffer or quarterback pressure the Bills had that game was Matt Milano. Like, he was a man to himself on that defense. 
uh, or a defense unto himself rather. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought they didn't make the, the Bengals uncomfortable enough. And then, you know, Burrow didn't even have to do that much. Like he threw for 240 yards. That's no, not, he was getting the ball out of his hands super quickly. And, yeah. and yeah. he obviously he gets a ton of credit, but like when Joe Mixon and Samaji P Ryan are running all over you to, to eat up huge chunks of clock and a lot of the, you know, shorter stuff that, that Burrow's going to is eating you up. I don't know. I'd look uh, again, obviously you have to score more than 10 points. Josh That's Allen it. has to be much better than that but they kind of made it easy for Cincinnati to play from ahead once they got ahead. Yeah, and they looked like they were never not going to score on every single drive early in this football game, and I saw a lot of takes about, man, that's what you met. This team's so different with Vaughn Miller. No no doubt. They could have used Vaughn Miller. You scored 10 points, though, yeah. right? And, and you can't point to the elements because Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense looked super potent smart to get your offense in early before the field got real bad the <laughs> bills should have done that they should have scored 14 uh, points in the first quarter so that once the once the field turned to muck they didn't have to score as much well and if i told you that this is the final score of the football game you probably would have told me well the guy with the 22 turnovers this season probably had a few more he had one in garbage time josh mm-hmm. allen basically turnover free for that entire football game and I, I would like to know if there there is a correlation there if it's just you know if, it, if it's uh, correlation is not causation in that this is a guy, the, the narrative surrounding this team and his performance all week leading into this thing is that he's got to cut down on the turnovers. And in talking to Nate and anybody that's really followed this team for a prolonged period of time would tell you that that is, that's just part of the Josh Allen experience. And it's, it's always going to be a part of his game and you take it as long as the big playability is there and I would like to get into Josh Allen's head and 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 know if if man he was trying to play a little too safe. It certainly looked like it, and there were you know I, I think the best way to look at that is through the lens of Stephon Diggs, who for years now has been the most maybe the most consistent top end wide receiver in all of football. And not only did he only have thirty five yards on four receptions, so we're already talking you know those are small plays by the standard of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, but they misconnected six times. Mm-hmm. Four catches on 10 targets. He has not had a game like that with Josh Allen all season. Yeah. Like, that is the worst they've connected. And there were twice that Diggs looked visibly frustrated with Allen. Dude. One on a low pass that Diggs still managed to get. Yes. And, and then, another, Bring and then another one where it was just a little too low. And yeah, whether it was being a little conservative and not wanting to put the ball into jump ball range, uh, or maybe, you know, it was just a little slick and he couldn't get a full handle on it or whatever. But Diggs certainly looked like he wanted to be a little more aggressive because the way that Allen threw a couple of those passes, not only were they hard to catch, but you basically can't get yards after catch if you have to hit your butt to make the catch in the first place. So that's an area where you know, Diggs adds a level of dynamism to that offense and they really weren't able to unlock it at all. Yeah, and Gabe Davis missed uh, a catch on would have been a long, long completion. It would have been a tough one. The defender was all over him. Um, but the Diggs thing is super interesting because, yeah, he's he's. It, there's been times during this season that ended, you know, the regular season, while it had its ups and downs, was a, was a positive story for the Buffalo Bills and he's gotten in Josh Allen's face before mm-hmm. and they're best buds and yada, yada, yada. 
Um, but it wasn't just what we saw on the field. It was like afterwards, he was like mm-hmm. trying to get out of the locker room as quickly as possible with all his gear on today. And Sean McDermott's like a, addressing his conversation with Stefan Diggs. Like he didn't exactly exonerate him, like talked about how he's a passionate dude. Doesn't sound great for the 30-year-old wide receiver. No, and I thought that like there was a, a time in the regular season where we were talking about this. And I remember it because it's like over I, I looked Thanksgiving, up, I yeah, think. Yeah, I, and I, I looked up like what Diggs' stats have been. And it's like, wow, it's remarkable how consistent and how productive he's been and there was a stretch of like i think he had 10 catches over three weeks and it's like okay that's not great but like at that point in the year when you're where the bills are you know you probably want to try some new things keep some other guys involved but yeah not not being able to spam your top wide receiver like I, I know Minnesota didn't have a good playoffs either, but when, you know, and, and the the Rams on their way to a Super Bowl, it was like, well, anytime things don't work, let's just spam to Cooper Cup. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, the Chiefs, like, to the extent on Saturday that if you were playing it in a video game, you would, like, have to change the settings. Just spam <laughs> Travis Kelsey to, like, a league record amount. And the Bills, I, I mean, 10 targets is 10 targets, but not being able to use your most dynamic weapon very well at all like four for 35 along of 16 that's just yeah that's not the way this team is built no and uh, okay like i said the window's not closed because anytime you got a guy who's top three in mvp voting and should be for as long as he's healthy and josh allen you're you're in the mix and while the afc east was better than we anticipated still feels like they're the class of that division unless you know aaron Rodgers drops in which uh may actually happen this offseason. But next season, you got Josh Allen's contract extension kicking in, and you got a bunch of notable free agents on this Bills team, including Jordan Poyer, who got hurt in that game, Tremaine Edmonds, uh, Devin Singletary, Shaq Lawson. They're all pending free agents for this Bills team. And I, I mentioned it off the top because it's hard to avoid that, okay, Patrick Mahomes is a Super Bowl champion. He's been to two. He's an MVP. Joe Burrow is undefeated against him. They both play in the AFC. Joe Burrow, if he beats him going on the road against a guy with a high ankle sprain, by the way, and not like Arrowhead is some place that is going to fluster Joe Burrow because, you know, he went in there last year and made himself a Super Bowl. If Joe Burrow wins that game, wins a Super Bowl, I, I, it's, it's hard not to say that that guy's the class of not just the AFC, but of all of football. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, I know you're not a big tennis guy, but the Nadal-Federer thing where, like, Federer had all the counting stats, but head-to-head, Nadal owned him. Like, it, it feels like we're going to have this Joe Burrow. It, again, he has to win. Uh, the narrative could be flipped on its head this Sunday if, uh, for the first time in his career, Patrick Mahomes beats him. But, if man, it's an uphill, uphill climb for this Bills team to ever get to a Super Bowl. And this is with a guy in Josh Allen who's going to be an MVP candidate every season. It's extremely difficult to make it to the Super Bowl, right? And I think we've seen through this these playoffs that the AFC is significantly tougher than the NFC. Like, show me the NFC team that's looked good other than Philadelphia. Um, and, and even then, you could make a quality of competition argument on Saturday because that was barely a football game. Um, and no disrespect to the Niners, who are obviously playing a third-string quarterback and stuff, but, like, the Cowboys had every opportunity to win that game. Like, oh, yeah. instances of... Uh, anyway, we don't need to get into the Cowboys fans are going through it today. Oh, we yeah. don't need to kick sand, I guess. But well, and that that is one. They're having the Josh Allen conversation with the turnovers for Dak Prescott, who had uh, two interceptions, but one that wasn't an interception could have been a pick six. Like that, that uh, is he a major also, issue. Like 
like probably should have been safetyed on the final drive. Like he, he just did not see that guy and managed to escape the tackle. That should have been it. That should have been two and the ball right there. Um, but yeah. And, and at no point did you really like feel like he was going to really threaten the Niners there. Like he got outplayed by Brock Purdy yeah? mm-hmm. and it's not really fair. Cause Brock Purdy has that defense and, and you know, the running game around him. But like before Tony Pollard went down injured, it's not like Dallas doesn't have, those same things. So I don't know. The Dak question to me is much harder than the Josh Allen one. The Josh Allen one's pretty straightforward. Any guy who's been an MVP caliber guy and is under 40, uh, like t- people are talking themselves into Brady and Rogers still. Josh Allen's still on the very, very good side of that curve. Yeah, he's got some learning to do. He's got some areas to sharpen up. And it's going to get tougher and tougher because you said the contract kicks in. Stephon Diggs has like five years and 120 million left on his deal. Mm. So like if that relationship is actually soured, like that's not a great situation either. But like anytime you have a quarterback that good, you talk yourself into having a chance. And even if you're a little negative about Josh Allen right now, there are 25 teams in the league that would love to be negative about Josh Allen right now. Yeah. Um, the, the concerns though are, yeah, Miami looked pretty solid and Theoretically, Tua could be back, or or if not, they could make another quarterback move. That Jets team faded, but that defense is really, really good and really, really young, and they are probably example 1A of a team that could take a big jump with a quarterback change next year. Yeah, they're a quarterback away. And then yeah, New England, it's kind of fun to see them not having a good time lately. But yeah, that, that division is very tough. And then Cincinnati and, and Kansas City, and then Baltimore, if they manage... Lamar Jackson is helping them in the search for a new offensive coordinator. So I think that would have to signal something good. And then you've got next year's MVP, Trevor Lawrence in that conference as well, (laughs) where, you know, that's, it's not getting any easier unless the bills get moved to the NFC. Uh, which I, I, I haven't heard rumors of, of taking place. Last thing on this game before we, we move on. I think the, the, like, and, and this is not a straw man because multiple Bengals players were asked about it and had no problem bringing it up uh, of their own volition. The whole thing about the neutral site AFC championship game and them selling tickets for the Bills and Chiefs in un, the, under the contingency that the Bills had won the football game. Yeah, of course. Like, what are we talking about here? They sold tickets for a potential AFC championship game in Cincinnati if the Jaguars had won against the... This, it's the most manufactured stupid story i've ever seen well that's that's a little bit extreme but it's very stupid i'll just leave it at that i just hope that people who bought tickets and arranged their travel had the cancellation button clicked right like yeah. the pay the extra five bucks for the i i don't know what the hotels and flights and stuff do there i just know like anytime i book a train or something like that the cancelable fare is always like five dollars more and it's like okay. you know what yeah. Stuff happens, Probably especially in a case like that where, hey, we don't know if this game is like had those games both been 50 50 shots and they weren't. But to use rough numbers, if they were both 50 50 shots, that means that AFC championship neutral site game had a 25 percent chance to happen. Yeah. Get that cancellation insurance. Plan. Well worth it. All right. That was today's top story. Um, My Jags fandom. I mean, it's ongoing. I, I don't think it's over, but I'm 0 one. As a fan of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Are you though? Like 0-1 on the board, but (laughs) I like I think that's about as good of a like for where this team is, second year quarterback, first time through the playoffs, first year with that head coach at the helm, end of a season where you started off so bad and everything was house money. Like 
you covered the spread and lost by a score to a team a lot of people think is going to win the Super Bowl. And I know 27-20 is like, like the Chiefs at no point in that game felt like they were stressed. No. I, I feel like had the Jags scored more, the Chiefs would have just been like, Okay, yeah, we'll do that. here's a little more. <laughs> here's a little more Travis Kelsey for you. You, you don't think uh, you don't think 14 receptions is is unfair. Here's 20. Yeah. Um, so it's not like the Jags like took a bite out of the, the juggernaut or anything like that. But they hung in there and they were respectable and like were within a two minute drill uh, of making that a really exciting game. So I came away from that one. Pretty happy. Of course. And, and Trevor Lawrence, I thought, looked fine. Like, not no big play stuff, really. Um, but certainly didn't have the mistakes that he had the, the game prior. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, not nearly. Well, okay, so they won the football game. And, and the Chiefs are off to their fifth straight AFC championship game in which they've hosted them all. Brady, by the way, went to eight straight. Three of those were on the road, though. But we're encroaching on on Brady's uh, eight straight AFC championship game record. Um, but Patrick Mahomes, of course, suffers the high ankle sprain, leaves the game briefly, returns. Yeah, he, a little limited in his mobility, obviously, and not able to plant. Uh, well, the- you saw, too, just even, like, the throwing mechanics yeah. on some of those where... It- the first drive of the game, he was doing that stuff because I think they were just doing trick plays. Mm-hmm. Like I think they were like, let's make an and one mixtape this game. <laughs> um, but then after the ankle thing, yeah, it was a lot of, uh, you know, not the most zip on the ball or, or some unconventional uh, throws. So I, I'm pretty worried about that if I'm a Chiefs fan. Yeah, he's going to play in the game. Like I, I don't, unless like they I have mean, to I mean, he came back in that foot. one. Yeah. They could have beat the Jaguars with Chad Henney probably if right. there was too much. And I know with ankle sprains and, and high ankle sprains, like, you're actually at a better chance to play through them a lot of the time than rest and then play because the swelling will all kick in and the adrenaline wears off and stuff. Like it's always the thing with NBA players. Like there's a, it happens fairly often that a guy comes back from rolling his ankle and keeps playing and then he's out the mm-hmm. next game or something like that. Um, but yeah, I would be pretty shocked if Mahomes was able to come back in that one. They didn't play it super cautious and then he's not there next week. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Uh, I think so. And I think, uh, yeah, it, despite the fact that we don't have a, a betting line on Bet Rivers, I, w- I would think that, I, and I've seen some of the, um, the the line makers having this one as the, the Chiefs barely favored against a team, again, that has beaten them three consecutive times with uh, Joe Burrow, but like a one-point favorite, I think, Chiefs uh, at home. Uh, well, the where I'm looking right now is uh, Bengals are one-point favorites. Oh, wow. Which is, I, I'd imagine that hovers around a pick until we have a Patrick Mahomes status. And then, you know, the reports on Mahomes probably are the primary line mover there. But I, I would also expect you'll see, and not, not to get too deep in the betting talk, but like if Mahomes is, if the reports are even reasonable, if Kansas City is a plus money at any point, you're going to see some people hammer that and yeah. bring it back to a pick Like that's anytime you get a team like the Chiefs at, at plus money, I think, uh, the line's going to move quickly. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> because it's not like the Bengals are blowing out the Chiefs in any of these games. They're pretty well coin flips, in, including an AFC championship game last season went to overtime. So um, let's uh, rattle off the last couple of games of uh, divisional weekend quickly. Uh, Cowboys suck. Yeah, Cowboys are not very good. Brock Purdy never lost. He's 8-0. Uh, Dak Prescott, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's in a way, the worst position to be in in sports. In a way, it could be much worse. But yeah, Dick Prescott is good, 
but he's unlikely to bring you a championship. I saw a lot of Kirk Cousins comparisons, which is, yeah, you're going to have some seasons where you're surprised and uh, uh, win a bunch of games and maybe win a division, but the idea is to win it all, and it's unlikely that he's going to be the guy, but what do you do? Do you move off a guy who's really, really good to, like, rebuild? Like, quarterbacks that good are hard to find, but it's hard to imagine Dak Prescott being the guy under center in a Super Bowl. It is. It's not as if we haven't seen teams manage to get to the Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl with subpar quarterbacks if the defense and running game are really strong, but those are generally quarterbacks who aren't paid like star quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And I also just don't know the way the Cowboys are run. Like, is there the patience there to run back a a DAC thing? Jerry Jones is very old. Yeah. It's uh, it's a weird one. I also thought Mike McCarthy had a really bad game, dude. Yeah, I, it's it, it's not relevant truly to the outcome of the game, but the final play, I it, it reminds everybody of that that famous uh, the Colts play, right, where there's weird offensive line setup uh, that ended in an immediate sack of the quarterback. All I want to know is like, what is the best outcome? What are these plays designed to do? Because I don't think a seven yard pass up the middle and immediately getting tackled and then the game ending is the way it's supposed to go. That's, that's the thing is the pass up the middle when you've, you've (laughs) overloaded one side of the field and then you pass to a guy in regular coverage in the middle of the field. Like that doesn't make, I, I thought. And maybe they didn't want to do this because the point is to telegraph it, but you do a quick screen pass and then you've got the offensive line basically yeah. lined up on one side of the field and the the back or sure, whoever catches the ball sense. gets a running start at it. And the hard part, though, is like any defense in that situation, they're going with their all tackling lineup, right? Like they've taken the slow guys off the field. They've taken the small corners off. The field. It's all like linebackers and safeties <laughs> at that point. Yeah. It's like a team full of Micah Parsons. Right. Um, so I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know what you're hoping for there. I certainly don't know why, like, I, I don't even think they gave the screen pass all that detail to look. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Yeah, all right. Irrelevant. Uh, the the Cowboys stink. Will always stink. It's it's more exciting, I think, to see the 49ers in the NFC Championship uh, against an Eagles team that was great all season long. And it's it's good to know that Jalen Hurts is healthy-ish. Like the throwing looked okay, maybe a little tentative running the ball, but they're really really good. And the Giants are kind like it's it's a little different because Daniel Jones has been around a little bit longer than Trevor Lawrence, but that's a house money situation with them as well. They weren't even supposed to be here. Yeah, but they they got paced. Yeah, sure. Sure like that was not a football game. And it shouldn't have been, though. No. I mean, they lost twice to that team during the regular season. I understand week 18 was irrelevant. But, yeah, the team, the, the game where everybody was healthy and it was best on best, they got waxed. And naturally, yeah. they got waxed against their divisional opponent in a playoff game. Yeah. No biggie. It's fine. Uh, I have one for you from the weekend, if that's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Travis Kelsey. Yeah, give Obviously, he sets that record with 14 receptions. Um, I was looking into some of his, this is only regular season stats, but he's already fourth all time in receiving yards for a tight end. Every tight end ahead of him played at least four years longer than he's played right now. Um, obviously, he is up there for receptions and for touchdowns as well. Um, Tony Gonzalez, the high watermark with 15,000 plus yards. Uh, don't know that Kelsey gets there. He's coming in at 10,300 right now. Um, but how much does he have to do or, or what does the the playoffs have to look like for him to get in the conversation do you think as best tight end of all time because oh. it, it's kind of sacrilege to say it's anyone but tony g because of the longevity wow. but i don't know that the ceiling 
like the the peak years. Tony G, I guess he led the league in receptions one year with 102, and he had 10 touchdowns a couple times. I mean, Gronk had some years there where there was nobody more physically dominant mm-hmm. than him, but I don't think any tight end in NFL history has been a greater offensive yeah. weapon like than Kel- what we're seeing. With Kelsey's, Kelsey's three best seasons would all have been Tony Gonzalez's best season. Yeah, and I know some of that is how the passing game changes and everything, but I also think he's... He's pretty special. He's already got one ring. Um, next week will be his 17th career playoff game already. So you're already looking at like 1,500 yards in the playoffs as well. Um, I think it's it's a conversation now probably. And then like whatever he adds on, like he's already older than, um, or he's the same age as Gronk rather. So when Gronk kind of called it quits, mm-hmm. you know, Gronk passed up the the chance to be in that same conversation with, with comparable numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to fathom unless he like, wins one this year and walks out on top, which there's been absolutely zero indication about. It's hard to imagine him not being at worst, like the second best tight end of all time. Yeah. I I put him number one, honestly, because it's, it, it, it doesn't have to be a uh, accounting stats based argument. It is the greatest I've ever seen. Peak versus longevity. And and he's got longevity going for him too. He's, he's played a a good amount of time. Yeah. He's really good and stuff. Um, all right, uh, you know what? Let's take a break and let's do some Leaf stuff uh, with Gord Stellick, host of Leafs Nation pre and post. We're also going to talk to him uh, about his buddy Bruce Boudreau, uh, former Canucks head coach, as he was finally given his walking papers today. Uh, Gord Stellick next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, I was was pretty sure it was coming from about, I don't know, October 8th. (laughs) I just didn't know when. All right, that was uh, the freshly fired. Bruce Boudreaux on NHL Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio with our next guest, Gord Stalick, host of uh, Leafs Nation pre- and post-game as we get you set for the Leafs and Islanders down at Scotiabank Arena. Gord, that's a good get for you. Well, you know, it's nice to have one friend of the business, uh, Ben and Blake, and I count you two as two. But anyway, it was uh, – it's funny. I've been, I've been texting I, – I, I haven't talked to Bruce for a while. I've texted him because I'm so pissed off about the whole situation there, and I don't want to violate confidences and whatever and, you know, going on. But I, I – you know, it's interesting. The Harold Ballard documentary was on last night, and Jim Rutherford who, Rutherford, who I respect and is a Hockey Hall of Famer, pulled the 2023 version – uh, on the way he handled Bruce Boudreaux. So, anyway, I kind of kidded him this morning, and guess what? He said it wasn't a surprise. He saw it coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, and, 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 yeah, he was very diplomatic, right, and and doesn't want to burn bridges because he's a classy guy like that. Um, but we can we can talk for him, and, and I don't want you to betray any confidences, but, like, what, what were you thinking as a guy? Because I can only talk about what I've heard about him personally and the relationships he has and, and, and the people that talk about him as, as a person. But you know the guy. Like, what were you thinking as the weeks went on? Well, like, again, it's about, like, uh, hey, hey, the business part is the business part. He was thrilled to become a head coach. He was, uh, he was uh, thrilled to be in a Canadian market, right, and loves it. You know, some people don't embrace it. They, they'd rather be somewhere quieter like Columbus or somewhere like that. And I, I, what, what I just didn't understand is that, okay, it, it was a great story last year that things turned around. Uh, he deserved a lot of credit. The players deserved a lot of credit. But then all of a sudden, 
And, and this is, he wouldn't answer this because uh, when I asked him what the heck went wrong, he started breaking down things like their, their PK and stuff like that. I meant, no, like, how come all of a sudden Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford throws salvos out about not being happy with training camp, no structure with the de- Like, I mean, they just came off what I, what I thought, and most people thought, was a successful end to the season. So, and now you go on, and here he is saying 14 months later uh, that, yeah, I thought last year we could do a bit of a rebuild, but now we've got to break it all down. And I'm going, 14 months later? Now you've decided you've got to break Anyway, it, it's on him now and Patrick Alvin and Rick Talk. It's a great hire, class act. He's going to be a, yeah, I think he's going to be a great coach. But, uh, but yeah, that, that, that's the part I, I don't get. It, it bugs me because uh, I've worked with uh, great people in the business and I've worked with others like that, that it's tough enough that you don't need something erratic and these kind of these kind of public minefields be laid by one of your bosses. So obviously they have Rick Tockett now. They don't have to worry about the next coaching vacancy imminently, but how much do you think this sends a bad signal about the way the Canucks are run for the next, whether it's assistant coach, front office guy, next free agent, or even as they're negotiating with some of their own key pending free agents. Um, I I don't know. I'd imagine with how well-liked Bruce Boudreaux is, this probably leaves a long-term sour taste in people's mouth. Uh, Yeah, about three consecutive wins will do it. (laughs) So I I, I think, you know, uh, Ben and Blake, that Saturday, it's kind of a nice chapter. That was a wonderful organic response by the fans and the players. So you can kind of close it. You knew what was going to happen. Now, you know, if they start getting it together, the fans will be in a more forgiving mood. I think the big thing now is Jim Rutherford's got to manage up more. Mm -hmm. Like that, the point being is he's a, the guy's won in Carolina and Pittsburgh. People enjoy working for him. They've got an owner there in Vancouver that can, you know, can be a bit, a bit different, a bit more involved. And that's the key if you're a president about, you know, having the ability to, to okay, to manage down, but also manage up successfully. Have the owner's confidence, and and be able to say, okay, here's a scoop. We got to let our people do what we hired our people to do. And you know, that's got to be the focal point from here because it, it seemed that there was this move afoot that we're not going to get Bruce another year, okay? That last year he's going to sign the one-year option, and that's it versus – and it just seemed like that was the goal to save some money. And, you know, you, there's it's a cap world with the players, but it's not a cap world as far as your staff goes. And they got a huge staff in Vancouver. they got a lot of people. I don't really don't – I don't know how it works. <laughs> I would find it a little unwieldy to tell you the truth with all the people they have, but that's for them to figure out. And um, And, again, like I said – it goes back to I give Jim Rutherford all kinds of props for being a very, very solid hockey guy. Yeah, and super honest. That's that's I guess is is failing at least as 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 he would tell it. And but that's a cop out. That's a cop out. You know? Okay, <laughs> okay you're super honest and say, oh, I'm not going to talk anymore. Well, no, <laughs> just just you know, choose your understand. You know, in being super honest, like when you fire yeah, a salvo like that, that it's going to land on somewhere else. That's all. I mean, I, I think he's a very intelligent guy when he's talks. I think people want that kind of candor. Yeah, uh, I do. I, as somebody that speaks into a microphone about the sport, and and you do the same right now, Gord. I, I like the candor, but it is. I mean, if you if this was not as the, the guy that he wanted. Um, for this franchise going forward, and that was his true belief, and he was going to, behind the scenes, I guess, orchestrate the next coaching hire. I, I, I guess, should we fault him too much for just for, for laying that out there, for, for letting people in on, on what was happening behind yes. the scenes? <laughs> yes, we should. Sorry to answer for him. But yes, yeah, we should I'm trying him. to play devil's advocate here. 
Yeah, I mean, was it the uh, okay? I don't know what Bruce's money is. I don't know what is. Is it, is it two point five? I don't know. Whatever it Something. is. So did okay? Did they want to just save that two point five? Because yeah. they would have had it. You know, if he picked the option, then they gotta um, they gotta pay him anyway. So they're saying, oh, you might as well let him coach. Well, that's a crappy piece of logic. Okay, like I've always said, if you are even entertaining over the summer, like you know, okay, yeah, our coach is on a short leash. Fire him in the summer. If you're even entertaining that 15 to 20 games in, you know, you're, you're, you could see his job being in jeopardy. Why are you wasting that part of the season? Why are you, you know, like that's what's always irked me. Like, okay, it would have been an unpopular move in the summer. There's, there, would, there, would, there would, I guarantee you, would have been another opportunity for Bruce. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, that's, that's, that's all water under the bridge now. And now the Canucks are, what are they, seventh in the lottery for Connor Bedard. So yeah. some president GM is going to be a genius NHL draft lottery <laughs> night. And uh, maybe it'll be the Canucks. Maybe. That would be a great story. All right, last one before we get to, to the Leafs with you, Gord. That you, you touched on it. That was a special moment uh, on Saturday as he's getting the, the props from the uh, Canucks faithful. And he's tearing up on the bench. I mean... It's a horrible, horrible situation, and I hope Bruce gets a, another kick of the can in the NHL. But if, if that's the last time we see him on an NHL bench, kind of, you know, in a weird way, it, it, it worked out that, that he got his, his um, what he deserved there on the bench for the Canucks. I think, you know, it's easy to say everybody likes Bruce Boudreaux. I think now more people respect Bruce Boudreaux. And I think that, you know, whether it's on the broadcast side or, you know, maybe there isn't another head coaching thing. Maybe there's a good assistant coaching thing for them, whatever. I I just think if I'm with 31 other organizations and I watch that part and if his name ever comes up, then I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking higher of him than say I did on Friday and with very good reason. So you're right. I mean I I'm glad. And as he said, it, he 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 couldn't believe it. It was surreal, and he gets to go in a season of lows off on a big high. Mm-hmm. Well, the other option for him is uh, WWE Elimination Chambers in Montreal in about a month. <laughs> he could uh, be Kevin Owens' manager, stand ringside with him. Awesome. Uh, you never know. And give him a hand. Hey, they're buds. So um, looking ahead to tonight, Gord, uh, Leafs Islanders, Samsonov getting his third consecutive start, the fourth time in a row. We'll, we'll see him after he came in midway through uh, that game about a week ago. What do you make of him getting, I believe this is the first time all year when both goalies have been healthy that either has started three games in a row, or at least that Samsonov has started three games in a row. Uh, Some window here for him to run with this, or are they just giving Murray a little bit of a, a mental breather here? Well, Murray did have that that that, uh, that the mysterious maintenance maintenance day once, which you always wonder about those, mm. particularly when it comes to goaltenders. So, I mean, that could you know maybe it's decided that the each goaltender is going to get a three game run. I, mm. I I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, whatever you know, rather than alternating back and forth, I I haven't gone overboard trying to dissect it or read too much into it. I mean, you just if you're a Leaf fan, you want one at least one ideally two, but one anyway, again, when the playoffs, to give you the kind of quality goal setting that eluded them so many playoffs. Not not last year. I thought Jack Campbell played pretty well. So uh, I, I think I... My my guess would be that maybe and, and not knowing it that maybe Matt Murray is a little bit a little bit off uh, or what there might be a little reason to rest him. Otherwise, yeah, if I'm Matt Murray, I'd be a little annoyed. I'd be I'm starting to think you know you know you you want to stay in the groove, you want to play some games, and I don't know is he is, I don't I don't think he's one B at this particular point. But when the other when one goaltender gets a gets a string together and both both goaltenders are legitimately healthy, um, that's the optics. 
No, isn't this the way it's supposed to work, though? I mean, okay, so Leafs lose to a very good Bruins team on Saturday. But, yeah, Matt Murray's not outstanding in that game. But he gets a second consecutive start against the Panthers and stinks out the joint. And Samsonov comes in and is perfect in relief. And they pick up the victory and then plays well again. Like, isn't this the way we were kind of sold? I mean, even in preseason, Matt Murray wasn't handed the starting gig, right? And our pal Kipper wrote about it, how it was maybe not the way he would have approached things, but this was supposed to be an open competition for this job, and it's hard to argue right now, Gord, that that Samsonov's just playing better. Does Kipper really write it, or does Justin Bourne write his stuff? Does he have a ghostwriter? I I believe Uh, it. Yeah, you know what? I mean, like like I'm cool, because 100% right. Samsonov of late has been the better goaltender. Right. So um, and if that's kind of making a declara- declaration at this point and he's saying, hey, I'm going out, I'm playing better right now. I should get the net more often then we'll, we'll find out pretty soon. Like you have this all star break, which is kind of a resetting period. Right. You know that, uh, um, you know, you, you kind of find coming back a little bit more what, what kind of fine tuning measures have been made. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I got to Well, I got to think on if Wednesday he goes again. Then you know, but I'm cool with it. If that's what they're doing, that's fine. And and you know, Matt Murray's a pro, or other people are pro, and you understand that's the way that that's the way the business works. Uh, the other part too, though, is you, you do like to keep both both goaltenders, you know, relatively active. Uh, but if you're going to declare there is a bona fide one, and the other guy's the backup, that'll that'll become apparent very soon. That's the case in New York with the Islanders. Um, that has worked out pretty well for them with about a two-to-one split, maybe two-and-a-half-to-one split. Ilya Sorokin and, and Semyon Varlamov uh, both turning in pretty good seasons so far. And that's kind of the core of this Islanders team being one of the best penalty kills in all of hockey right now. Uh, the Leafs went 0-2 on the power play Saturday. They're down to 10th now in power play percentage. Um, Gord, what, what are you seeing with that power play group that, that's still not clicking right now? Well, I mean, it's not 25th, but I... Uh, it, <laughs> Sorry, yes, you know, by their lofty standards, it's not clicking as well uh, as we maybe expect. Did you not see the Ballard documentary and understand what teams I was general manager? I would have been thrilled <laughs> being 10th. You kidding me? I would have got a raise. Uh, so uh, my my <laughs> my scope's a little bit different. I uh, Again, I'm not big on the five forwards. I know it's not all five forwards. I think there's an opportunity for Morgan Riley to, if you know be that quarterback that we've seen glimpses of and, and hope he can, you know, and, and that's, you know, I Tyson Berry was brought here a few years ago. It's never really happened that you've had that. So I think, you know, that might be the kind of opportunity. I, I just find a lot of positives about the power play. It's a weird power play that the year, the Canadian division year, you remember they had the best power play since the 1950s Montreal Canadians, and then yeah. they went dead last, right? Mm-hmm. Like weird. Went from one extreme to another, which is strange. But uh, I, um, they move the puck well. There's a lot of skill on it. And uh, okay, should you be better than tenth? Yeah, if you're talking to your, your special team in, in the in the playoffs, especially special teams and goaltending are huge. So you'd like to get it up a bit. Yeah, you'd like Morgan Riley not to still be sitting on a goose egg. But uh, yeah, lots of season. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe get your first goal. Yeah, even <laughs> though you've been hurt. True, that would be a nice start. It sure would. Uh, Gord, thanks for this. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. And by you know, you know your buddy Justin Cuthbert's filling in. Brent Gunning. That's right. Uh, last minute scratch, like mm-hmm. Matt Murray, and uh, and Justin's the hot guy right now. We decided. Hell yeah. So anyway, he's gonna. <laughs> yeah, he's he's gonna get the net. <laughs> All right, we'll be listening. Six thirty. Thanks, okay. Gord. See you guys. Yeah, there's Gord Stelic, host of Leafs Nation pre and post game. As he mentioned, he and Justin Cuthbert have you at six thirty. Toronto Maple Leafs hosting the New York Islanders. 
uh, our own Blake Murphy in attendance in the 300 level. <laughs> uh, so Morgan Riley still looking for his first goal. Uh, he's got a robust six shots on the power play all season long. Uh, the power play is 10th. It's not very good right now. The the five forward thing, I guess it's it's in the back pocket if they have to break it out again. But Morgan Riley's back on power play one and 0 for 2, as you mentioned, on Saturday. Morgan Riley, ah, it's tough because I think that there are pockets of Leafs fandom that give him a hard shake sometimes. And when the negatives that a player provides or things he takes from the table aren't going that well you tend you want to focus on the positives and and see hey here's a reminder this is what this guy contributes and and, you know uh, a defenseman who moves the puck end to end isn't the like that's not something we can quantify super well especially when the the advanced metrics aren't in his favor either Um, but the one thing with Riley has generally been well the power play needs him and he's good on the power play even though he doesn't have you know that traditional power play quarterback shot um, even though maybe the points aren't always there. I know he's been, he's a guy who's stacked points in the past. Um, I did some digging to see just how bad it's been for Riley on the power play. So bear with me on the numbers here, but over the last three seasons, 70 defensemen have played at least 175 minutes on the power play. Okay. Morgan Riley ranks 51st in goals per 60. Not all that surprising. He's not the trigger man on the power play. Um, And he gets a lot of number, like a a lot of secondary assists. However, he is 67th out of 70 defensemen who qualified when I looked. In terms of how often do you get a point? How often are you involved in the goal? Like, do you get an assist or a goal when the team scores? It's They call it individual points percentage on on natural stat rate. He's 67th out of 70 defenseman it gets worse if you narrow it down to just the last two years and cut that cutoff down to 100 minutes 76 out of 79 defensemen so this what this tells you is even though the least power play has been effective even though riley's a part of that it actually sorry it doesn't tell you that he's not helping but it doesn't let us say for sure he is helping because he's not involved in a lot of these goals a lot of the time. So you're left to, you know, this is a, a Justin Bourne question when he digs into the tape sometime, you know, what is the value he's providing? Is it the rush to and, and the controlled zone entry? And then he kind of sits back and lets the other guys operate. Is it, you know, is he getting a lot of third assists that we don't count? <laughs> like he's the guy that passes to the guy that passes the guy yeah. that sets up the goal. I don't know. I, I don't want to be negative about Riley because there's been a lot of that. And I'm just be realistic though. But this is a guy who's an offensive defenseman. He's supposed to be a power play specialist. He's and had he some is, big point seasons, right? Like seventy yeah. point defenseman and a lot of but power play points. For his level of power play usage among defensemen the last couple of years, it's just not there. It's He's on the lower end. Yeah, he gets a lot of those secondary assists, but when you compare him to basically, you know, a sample of 70 defensemen, that's top two power play defensemen on a team around the league. It doesn't come out that great. Well, and I I think the team kind of recognizes that as well. It's not like they're falling over backwards to force him into this power play one. Now, I understand he's back on it before, but Rasmus Sandin's been put on the, the number one power play unit. They just came off a stretch of... Games using the five forward thing. Or Connor Timmons getting getting some looks. Not yeah. that he's going to play in a playoff game, I don't think. So I wouldn't mind. There was a, a brief moment where they tried 
Giordano on it last year, and I yeah. kind of liked it just because the shot's heavier, but I don't think they want him, I mean, first of all, playing those extra minutes, but also trying to, you know, the the skating level with, with those top four. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the answer is. And Sandine, even though he's, like, looked good at times, hasn't still on a zero for career power play goals. Not that power play goals are everything, but, yeah, yeah. it's not uh, There's it's no not obvious there. solution here. But it is, it's a, it's a huge, like, when you break down the more than a half decade of playoff failures for this team. And some of those, like not all of those fall in the same bucket, right? Like the Montreal Canadiens collapse was that, right? They were up 3-1 against a team that finished 25 points lower than them in the standings. And I know they lost their captain in game one of the series, but that, that one stands above all else. Even the, the five-game series lead to, or uh, the five-game series loss to Columbus in the, in the uh, COVID 2020 uh, postseason like those teams were separated, I think, by a point when the shutdown happened, and that was a yeah, team. Yeah, it was a garbage season anyway. Yeah, no, Kyle the, Dubas honestly, was actively trying to trade assets away before the season got here, shut down. Here's the thing: it's it's very funny to look back on because we include it because it's X number of six first yeah. round exits in a row. Had the Leafs made it past the first past Columbus, counted. Nobody would count it. It's just because <laughs> it helps with the streak, and, and you know it was another frustrating one. Uh, but yeah, you have to go back to. Um, what was that? Game two of the Montreal series for the last time the Leafs scored multiple power play goals in a playoff well, game. This is it. And that is the only time since you go back to Boston in 2019 that they've done it. So not that you have to score a ton of power play goals, but you got to put up fewer goose eggs if you're a high offense team or have been traditionally. Yep, that's it, man. If there are two things you can point to as keys to the playoff failures, it's the power play and it's the goaltending. So want to give away some free stuff after the break? I sure do. It's coming up next. Fan Drive Time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy. It's the final segment of the program as we get you set for Leafs and Islanders down at Scotiabank Arena. Pre-game show coming your way at the bottom of the hour. Blake, with a great, great tease sell job at the end of the last segment, this is where we pay off that tease and give away free stuff, Blake. We do. Uh, and don't let the, the song we came back with fool you there. We're not giving uh, ACDC stuff away. Okay. However, you know what? This is, it's funny. I, I was joking about this with friends earlier that um, in 2019, after the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship, long time ago, mm-hmm. late June of that year, mm-hmm. Alexis on Fire played two nights at Budweiser Stage. They had limited edition Alexis on Fire gear that worked the Raptors logo into their logo, the skull heart, but with the Raptor claw through it. I have one. It's awesome. And even the Raptor himself showed up and was on stage. That's awesome. This year, June 16th, Alex on fire at Budweiser stage, celebrating the Toronto Raptors win in the NBA draft lottery. <laughs> okay, sure. I can get by. I can it's the get best I that. can do. Yeah. It's the best I could do. Um, but Alex on fire are playing Budweiser stage again this summer, June 16th. We're giving away tickets all week long. And if you are a Toronto music scene fan, uh, they're playing with my friends in pop Mets are also going to be there. 
going to be a hell of a show. All you have to do to win free tickets is tune into the fan drive time every day this week and listen for the code word. Text that code word to 59590 and you'll be entered for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the show. Today's code word is the Northern. So text the Northern to 59590 right now for your chance to win. We're giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow. But if you don't win with us, make sure to secure your tickets by going to Ticketmaster.ca starting this Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, I know that's the ad read this Friday at 10 a.m. Maybe look on Alexis on Fire socials if you're looking for that pre-sale window, oh. too, because more tickets go on sale tomorrow at well, 10 a.m. And if people don't see you at tonight's Toronto Maple Leafs game, I'm thinking in June they, they might be able to see you at this concert. Or maybe you'll have, like, an all-access pass and you won't be with the unwashed. Oh, I will absolutely <laughs> have an all-access pass where uh, you've heard of the term a rider before. Yeah, the yes, the, 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 the contract that the, the artists signed that they, they got to have only blue M&Ms. Do they make blue M&Ms? I don't know what color M&Ms they make. Isn't the M&Ms, aren't the M&Ms canceled now or something as part oh, of some Super Bowl I, ad yeah, that's I really don't. stupid? No, I don't. That, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I saw people tweeting about I, it today. Let's it's, not. I don't engage with it. <laughs> um, uh, so no, no M&Ms, just uh, whatever the woke candy is. Uh, no, I'm I'm mostly kidding. But yeah, bands... Have some stuff back there. Sometimes, I mean, we talked about beers in the first segment. How, how many times do I need to talk about beer uh, yeah. on the show? But the the venue is called Budweiser Stage. So mm. I'd imagine uh, I'll find my way back there. That sounds like fun. You know what sounds like fun? Like June in the city of Toronto yes. and live outdoor music. Like that all sounds real yeah. good and stuff. Also, and like I'm, I'm biased here because I've been a longtime fan and I, I've been fortunate enough to get to know the band a little bit. But Alexis on Fire Live are unbelievable like they they returned post-pandemic they had a show at history and then i saw them in st Catharines when they did two nights of city in color two nights of alexis on fire um as kind of their homecoming festival in the summer and, and my guys in Papa and the obgms got to open for them one of those nights as well it was really cool but it is unbelievable how good and how sharp they are after that long of a layoff um the new album rips we've we're getting a new city in color album at some point soon too um so yeah, it's it's very cool. And then Pop are like some of my best friends, and I'm glad to see them getting an opportunity like this and them continuing to to get more success. I know this isn't a music show, no, but that's, okay. uh, that's sweet. Look, Toronto music and Toronto sports are, are pretty intertwined, and yeah, it's cool that I that because of this job, I've gotten to meet some people on the music side and get to do things like giveaway tickets to concerts my buds are playing at bud stage that is sweet um so yeah we'll be looking for you uh this summer at all the um don't let's stop getting festivals. people to look for me i'm not waldo well, uh, yeah. i don't know what your thing <laughs> is anyway today's Sense. code word is the northern <laughs> send text it to 59590 you can also uh, text in your pictures of blake in public places yeah i'm or gonna send give them to my twitter account if, you don't, if you don't stop i'm going to tomorrow's <laughs> code word is going to be texted to ben ennis's personal <laughs> cell phone number not 59590 all right. Um, so you mentioned maybe the Raptors are celebrating uh, winning the Webanyama sweepstakes this summer. Well, yeah, the, the, the next two weeks could really go a long way in solidifying that uh, as it currently stands. They're tied for the sixth worst record in the NBA with the Washington Wizards. Um, they start a 14-day, seven-game Western road trip now. The, Twelve-day, the, really. You're counting today and tomorrow when they don't play. 
It's seven games in 12 days. It's it's it, gross. Against good teams. Uh, yeah. Everybody, just about everybody, save for six teams, are better than the Raptors <laughs> this season. So, but yeah. it's like Sacramento is third in the West. The Warriors are the Warriors. Yep. Portland's fighting for their playoff life. Phoenix fighting for their playoff life. The Jazz are way better than expected. They get a soft one against the Rockets. who There's have no lost. soft ones. The Rockets are a soft one. All right. The Rockets might be the worst team I've ever seen try to play NBA defense. All right. And I've watched some bad teams. I've watched a lot of G League basketball <laughs> in my time. The Rockets are abhorrent on defense. And then you close it out with the Grizzlies, who are awesome. Yeah. And so much fun. Title contender. Yeah. So much so that uh, LeBron James stands are having to get into it oh. with John Morant's dad. <laughs> and Steven Adams has to be held back by like 50 guys. Also, you want to talk about best tight ends of all time. Sharp's up there. Steven Adams made him look like a tiny little cornerback. Yeah. Well, okay. So people who didn't see it, Shannon Sharp uh, went nuts. I don't know what was going on there. Uh, and he addressed the situation on what the, he's on first take, right? Like that's the show he's on or is he on the other show? No, he's on first take. I think with Skip Bayless. Yeah. Because he, his whole thing is like, he's the pro LeBron to Skip's anti LeBron. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. Got into it. Um, they hugged it out after, though. It wasn't that I, big a deal. I guess, yeah. John Morant's dad was involved to, to some degree. It was, Yeah, John Morant's dad was, like, right in the middle of it. And, like, so John Morant's dad is a, a character. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, the famous jaw quote of, like, my first hater was my dad. <laughs> and, um, so he's, like, a character. And then, like, he's talking big after. I think he told Mark Jackson of ESPN, uh, my blood pressure didn't go up one bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Sharp told Dave McMenamin of ESPN that uh, Team Morant didn't want that smoke and That's the Grizzlies right. didn't want that, that smoke. That was um, so bizarre. And it the, felt like a work almost, right? Except it, it was real. It, it did seem like a work, because, especially because a lot of the characters involved, like Stephen Adams could absolutely <laughs> yeah. be a wrestling character. Team Morant could absolutely be like a, a manager mouthpiece or whatever. But it all made sense once you got into Dave McMenamin's reporting at ESPN, <laughs> this is the quote that, that this is all you need to know about anything that happened there. It started with Dylan Brooks. Yeah. That's it. You're awesome. done. You know, it's you great. know what it is. Yep. I, I remember when the Grizzlies were here, uh, JD had really good seats. Our pal JD Bunkus had really good seats and a friend of mine and her dad were also at that game in really good seats. And I told both of them like in the first quarter, keep an ear out because if Dylan Brooks gets going, all you will hear the rest of the game is Dylan Brooks, and that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Uh, it's great. He, yeah, the villain. Yeah, well, I, w- I was going to say to wrap up this part of the conversation is that there were probably, hey, listen, say what you will about Skip. There's usually some fair number of eyeballs on that program. Today, I'm sure there were a lot of eyeballs on that program. Well, I was- you saw what he did with his Dak Prescott jersey, right? Yeah, no, that was quite a so thing why I, yeah. does he have so much carpet in his kitchen <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't notice that is this kitchen like carpeted th- thick carpet and, but not fully carpeted like he has just like a rug down the middle of his kitchen oh, i missed that i entirely. don't understand he is jack though skip bayless holy cow yeah for yeah for a 70 year old man uh yeah he um don't want to get into a physical confrontation what i was gonna say is well, that yeah i'm trying not to beat up 70 year old men or get beat up by seven year old just as a policy not trying to get in physical confrontations well, with the elderly I, yeah i would say that yeah skip probably wouldn't shy away from it though like you would if you were spending some one-on-one time with skip it, it it's not out of the realm of possibility that a topic would come up that you might have a disagreement with him on sure okay 
you're going out of the game tonight. I'm just saying, like, might be good promo for the show. Get us on the map a little bit. If you end up sure. in a shouting match with Lou Lamorello, you find out where his from private the, box is. From the upper level, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll get into it with Lou, uh, protecting my guy, Kyle Dubas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, look out for that. By the way, here's how old Skip Bayless is. Okay. He's almost as old as... Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim owner oh, Artie Moreno, this. who Good everyone one. thought was going to sell the team because he's so old and, mm-hmm. you know, the Angels suck and he is not a great, like, Angels fans would have been cool with him selling the team. Yeah, but he's spent. It's it's a weird one, right? Yeah, he like, spent poorly, but yeah, yeah he's he spent. spent. I guess, yeah, he's probably meddled too much. That's probably the reason or hired the wrong people. What you want is somebody who will spend, um, not the way he spent, like, really poorly, and it feels like the spending is going to come to an end when Shohei Otani becomes a free agent at the end of the season and demands, I don't know, 10-year, $500 million deal, which is not out of the realm of possibility for the greatest two-way player in the history of the sport. But yeah, this is just happening like minutes ago that he has announced uh, via the Angels' Twitter feed that he's no longer exploring the sale of the team. And any conversation that we had surrounding Shohei Otani had to do with how the change in ownership might impact things. Hey, do you want to give up an asset it's like most... Shohei Otani? Because like him on his own, even if the team's not winning, he's worth so much to the bottom well, line. It was such a frustrating conversation to have, and it was the same conversation around Juan Soto and the Nationals. Like, we are... The economics of sports have gone too far through whatever we put them through, where having Shohei Otani and the chance to re-up him in free agency was considered a negative Mm. for the potential sale of this team. Like, oh, the Nationals are better off having prospects in the system who will eventually be inexpensive labor and they might be good later versus paying Juan Soto. Yeah. Like, if if you're only selling the baseball team to people who are going to treat it as a profit center and not people who want to watch exciting players, like, Shohei Otani might literally be the most interesting baseball player we'll see in our lives i mean in an individual season he might be the greatest baseball player that's ever played 162 games yes. or close to it right and if you are looking at reasons to trade him uh yeah it's it has nothing to do with shohei and mike trout that the angels haven't been good it's that all the money's gone to like vernon wells and uh zach cozart and i don't know josh hamilton <laughs> josh hamilton man yeah. uh anyways um so here's the way I view it. I, I'm not an economist by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's actually more likely maybe. Okay, so, so ultimately, Shohei Otani is going to be in charge of the decision-making here because he's a free agent. He's, he can return to the Angels. He can go wherever he wants. He can sign for nothing. He can sign for the biggest contract ever signed in the history of the sport. It'll be up to him at the end of the season. What he I'm can't talking sign about, for nothing. He has to make the league minimum. Uh, he can sign for the league minimum. All right, next to nothing. A pittance for Shohei Otani. Um, But my thinking throughout this process in evaluating, he's not going to be traded before the beginning of the season, obviously. Like, pitchers and catchers are less than a month away. But my thinking was, even if the Angels were so totally out of it at the trade deadline, he wouldn't be moved if the ownership change had not taken place by that moment because you would want to give the new owners at least the chance to sign him. Or at least the, the 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 idea that he's a potential returning player. Well, I think, yeah, it was almost a, like a, it's a ticking clock on when you could sell the team because the Shohei decision is so, like, it's so pivotal in whatever direction a new ownership group is going to go where if you enter this season trying to sell the team, 
say their new owners do want to keep Shohei. Well, they can't negotiate with them yet until that's until the the sale takes place, and they might not want the sale mm-hmm. unless they know Shohei is going to stay. If they don't want Shohei and they want to imagine not wanting Shohei, but like say they want the bundle of prospects instead of imagine maybe wanting the, the greatest bundle of pro- player we'll ever see. <laughs> uh, yeah, you say imagine jokingly, but like this just happened with Juan Soto. I it, know. The, even the, the thing is, Juan the very Soto rich Red Sox did that with Mookie Betts. I get it, but neither of those guys just sell tickets by existing, right? Sure, Which, and or merchandise by existing, and we don't know the bottom line on just having Shohei Otani and the the okay, Japanese but, media rights and the the merchandise and blah yes. blah blah but there is something there there is something there especially when you're on the when you're like a pacific coast team like mm-hmm. that's a, a big thing anyway they would probably if they were going to trade him which is insane but if they were going to do it they would probably want to take over the team and install their own front office to go through that trade because if you're going to buy a team that just traded away a generational talent yeah. you probably don't want to do that if you didn't have faith in that ownership and front office group like yeah. if like, who would you trust less to trade Shohei Otani right now than the Angels front office that has built this team the last little while? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's a, a short list. Um, so yeah, that being said, now that Artie Moreno is going to be there forever and ever and ever and ever until he d- departs his mortal coil, seemingly. Yeah. And sorry, I'm I'm being a little unfair here, lopping in Perry Manassian, yeah, the, the GM, because he, he's only been on the job for a couple of years. He's uh, he is carrying the sins right now of the prior regime. I apologize to Perry if he's listening, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's been a bad go for the Angels. Yeah, it has. Okay, so I let me know if you feel the same way. To me, this increases the likelihood that a baseball decision is made because, hey, even if you trade away Shohei Otani at the deadline, you can go in, into free agency and offer him the the given the the biggest dollar amount and re re up. Shohei Otani, he can be an angel again. And you can do like the Araldus Chapman thing um, with the New York Yankees. I think if there's a baseball case to be made, and there is one, if the Angels stink, even with the two best players in the history of baseball on their team, I think it is more likely that we do see a trade of Shohei Otani before the trade deadline. Now that there is, I guess, according to the statement, more certainty ownership-wise with that franchise. Well, maybe. Oh, well, that's this, not an answer. I know, but it's like, this is the thing is, uh, it's part of why I have trouble with bad ownership groups or bad front offices is that, you know, the the biggest flaw in economics teaching and economics theory and stuff is that everyone's a rational actor. Mm. It's like, okay, well, it all falls apart once you accept that <laughs> a lot of people are rational yeah. and dumb. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, this is what I would do as a front office. This is what... I think the baseball move would be... Artie Moreno just wants the draft pick compensation for him departing in free agency. Yeah, that's it. Artie Moreno, who's 76 (laughs) years old, is like, yeah, yeah, let's build a winner Uh, 10 years from now. You have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. It's unbelievable. You might have the two best baseball players either of us will ever get to watch live. Yeah. And, like, yeah, someone might knock them off the... I'm being exaggerative but like i might not be being exaggerative that these are two of the most special players that no, we they ever are seen. definitely two of the of the most yeah. special players Any, and, and mike trout already like, like is a you, hall of famer it just the idea of having shohei otani and mike trout and even considering not year after year doing everything possible to maximize that the chances of of not only winning a world series seeing them play a playoff <laughs> game that'd be nice 
Hey, Mike Trout is going to get his highest level of competition come March when he's a part of Team USA at the World Baseball Classic. He has appeared in, what, one postseason series? Yeah, in and out. Real quick. Yeah, no, yeah, it was a wild card game, right? Yeah, I think he got bounced right away. I don't think he has a hit in his one postseason appearance. Anyways... He's he's not clutch. That's that's why he's a bum. He's I, uh, no. He uh, he was one for twelve with okay. three walks. No, it, but so that was back a, in two thousand fourteen when yeah. he was twenty two years old. As a child, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a an MVP winning child. But still, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, this is in a way good news for baseball because if if yeah, like I said, like you maybe put a pin in that we have somewhat rational actors here, and the Angels yeah. realize that okay. It's it's unbelievable that we've squandered this opportunity, but here it is. We're below 500 again at the trade deadline, and there's only one path forward here with Mike Trout, who has a no trade clause. I mean, he's he's uh, 10 and five with the Angels, anyways. He can decide whether he wants to be traded or not, and seems pretty happy out there. Uh, I don't know. Let me tell you what my decision would be if any any CBA clause that has if you spend 10 years with the Angels, I can tell you what my answer is right now. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. If if he becomes available at the trade deadline, there's going to be nothing like it in the history of the sport, and it'll make Juan Soto, despite the fact that there was a ton of still team control uh, around Juan Soto, it's going to make that look like a peanut. And the free agent ch- pursuit of Shohei Otani, who needs to stay healthy for a third consecutive year, which is no guarantee a guy that already went through Tommy John, I, I, it's, oh. I it's incredible to think about what the future holds for that special player. Let me throw this at you, though. Throw it at me. A way to insulate against potential decline for someone like Shohei Otani, who's a two-way player, uh, he's a left-handed hitter. What if left center field, or what if right center field, rather, was coming in from 375 feet to 357 feet at the park that he <laughs> is going to play at the next 10 years? I love where your your head's at. Uh, uh, that's Scott Mitchell of TSN, by the way, reporting the new dimensions at Rogers Center. Okay. Um, so, sorry, say that right, again? Right center field alley will come in from 375 to 357 Left center field will come in nine feet, so it'll be 366. So it'll be shorter to right center than left center. Uh, lines are expected to stay the same. Center field comes in three feet. Um, but as Scott Mitchell followed up, that a Blue Jays PR rep said that they still expect it to play neutral um, because of like fence height and stuff like that. But also playing neutral doesn't mean it has to be neutral to all types of players. Right. Left. It's what it sounds like. Is it going to be real beneficial to lefties because right field is shorter than left field? You know who two of the highest hit total right-handed hitters to the opposite field power alley were this year? Uh, Give it to me. Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Hmm. Uh, uh, Dalton Varsho likes to pull the ball just a little bit. Brandon Belt. Yeah, both of those guys like to pull the ball a little bit. Um, no, that's super Kevin interesting. Kevin Biggio, yeah. most improved player. <laughs> no, that's – so what did you say, like 20 feet difference? No, 10. 375 to 357, so it's an 18-foot difference. Holy but- cow, man. That is that is a huge difference. Those are going to be huge walls. I guess. Well, okay, so it was shy of 10 feet previously. Well, like, are we talking about the green monster type, like 20-feet walls? I don't know. I, I don't know. That's That, to me, sounds like that is going to play a little bit like Great American Ballpark or like Citizens Bank I mean, they, Park. They think that it's going to... They think. They think. Um, yeah, so I don't really what have What do they a, know? Like, what did they think when they built uh, Petco? What did they think when they first built Comerica? 
I don't know if they they couldn't have possibly thought Comerica was going to play neutral because like it was like you know four fifty to like straight yeah. away left field at Comerica, but they eventually had to bring the fences in. Like the best laid plans, man. I I I, I that's twenty feet is twenty feet. Like that's yeah, that's and that's, look if they're not home runs and the wall's tall, so what? Still hitting off the wall. That's right. Bo yep. and Vlad are gonna like. I don't know. Can you? Can I know we're almost at last call, Bet Rivers. Uh, I doubt they have this prop up yet, but Bobichet to lead the league in doubles? Yeah. Well, he's always among Given the league leaders anyways. And now he has that opposite field high wall that's shorter? Like that's shorter distance, higher wall? I don't know. Anyway, no, shout I, out to Scott Mitchell for getting those ahead of getting those for us ahead of time. Yeah, I know officially the Blue Jays are going to announce February. those dimensions in February. That's a good scoop, though. Um, you know what I'm going to do? What? I'm going to run a bunch of simulations in out-of-the-park baseball, <laughs> and I'm going to see how it impacts the... I'm going to change the field dimensions in there, and I'm going to see how it changes the offense. Okay, and then you report back to us tomorrow, okay? Oh, I'm not doing it today. Oh, you have other things to do? Well, we need to know the wall height. Oh, I thought he just told us. No, oh, he told us the wall distance. Okay, we, we need to know the height. Yes, the, in February when the Jays tell us the all the specifics. Mm-hmm. Uh, lastly, before we get to um, last call, brought to you by Bed Rivers. Uh, on Sportsnet tonight, you can watch uh, Johnny Goudreau returning to Calgary for the first time since signing with the Columbus Blue Jackets. They've already met these two teams this season in one of the rare games that the Blue Jackets have won. This guy signed a, a, a seven-year deal worth nine-plus million bucks for a team that's dead last amongst a bunch of teams that are actively trying to get Connor Bedard. It's insane. Maybe and he I'm, just really wants to play with Connor Bedard. I don't know, man. It is. He, oh my goodness. I just brought up their individual stats. Yeah. This is like Hassock era Buffalo Sabres stats for this. So Goudreau has 44 points in 46 games. What mm. would you think number two on the team has? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. 26. That's not good. Jack Ross. That's <laughs> not good, man. And I, yeah. Now, Line has been hurt, but still. Sure. And I, I okay. And he obviously wanted out of uh, out of Canada. He wanted to the United States, anywhere he could get to the United States. Um, and it's hard to fault a, a guy who chooses family, I guess, as a priority over hockey. But holy cow, that is. Hey, I think we all got the Matthew Kachuk thing at the time, right? Like, did I feel bad for Flames fans? Did he at least give them the heads up that they could get a return for him? And has it worked out? Mm, kind of math for both sides. Although the Panthers have played a little better recently. Okay, but he went to a sunny, warm locale to a good team. Yeah, uh, uh, Johnny Goudreau went to Columbus to play for a last-place team. It's year one, though, so maybe better days are on the horizon for Johnny Hockey, who's going to get booed sure. mercilessly maybe. tonight. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. All right, time now for uh, Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Uh, Islanders at Toronto Maple Leafs, and as you might expect... As has happened many a time this season, the Toronto Maple Leafs heavy favorites minus two thirty-five against the Islanders. Islanders plus one ninety-five. Austin Matthews anytime goal minus one twenty-four. Matt Barzal anytime goal plus three ten. Again, man, going by history this season, the uh, non-Leaf side when they are minus two hundred or better is usually a good call. That uh, Johnny Goudreau return game in Calgary against the Flames has the Flames. Minus 360 favorites against the worst team in hockey. The Columbus Blue Jackets, who are plus 290. Johnny Hockey to score a goal anytime. Plus 270. Uh, Is that the rest of the season or just tonight? (laughs) 
That's just tonight. Surprised that Columbus Blue Jackets to score a goal is in plus 270. Yeah. What are they, 14 and 32? <laughs> it's not great. All right. Uh, that was Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Leafs Islanders pregame show coming your way in mere moments. Take a picture of Blake down at the game tonight. Send it to me on Twitter. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.